This podcast explains three reasons why wills get contested. I'm Paul Rabelais, uh, estate planning attorney, work out of our offices in Louisiana, come across many circumstances where people have wanted to challenge wills. The reasons are obvious. There's money at stake. There's inheritance at stake. There's relationship issues. So I want to discuss three of the common reasons why wills get contested and then also maybe throw in why um, when when wills really shouldn't or can't be contested. So the first reason wills often get contested is because it's argued that the person who wrote the will didn't follow all of the formality requirements. So it has to you know, for a will to be valid, it has to follow the um, you know, statutory guidelines. And I'm going to go over the Louisiana version of these formality requirements. Each state has its own formality requirements. I suspect, you know, from state to state, they're, they're similar in many respects. But it's really important that you understand your state-specific formality requirements. So here in Louisiana, there's, there's two forms of wills or what Louisiana law calls a testament. There's an oligraphic testament and there's a notarial testament. So the less common oligraphic testament, let me go through what that is. Essentially, it's kind of commonly known as a handwritten will. Occasionally, I get the question from the kind of the do-it-yourselfer or I know it's kind of a negative term or the know-it-all who says, well, Paul, can I just write my own will, pull out a sheet of paper and write my own will and sign it and date it and it's a valid will. So there's a short answer and there's a long answer to that question. But first, before I get into that, let me go through what the formality requirements are for an oligraphic or handwritten will or testament. So it's got to be entirely written, dated, and signed in the handwriting of the testator. So the test, testator, call it a testator. The testator is the you know person who's writing the will. So it's got to be entirely written, dated, and signed in their handwriting. And then there's specifics as to where the date and where the signature must be. But essentially, that's it. Um, written, dated, and signed in the handwriting of the testator, and then you know follow the the formality requirements as it relates to those requirements. But a an oligraphic will doesn't have to be notarized, doesn't have to be witnessed. And so I've seen a lot of oligraphic wills that, you know, somebody wrote it out and they went to a notary and got it notarized. And so that notary requirement is not necessary for an oligraphic will. Back to the question. Paul, I'm a know-it-all. I I'm a lawyer wannabe. I I really you know don't want to spend more than fifty cents preparing my will, um, and so I'll just get out a piece of paper and write my will. Uh, is that valid? Well, the short answer is it it va- it it will be valid assuming you met those minimal formality requirements. But that's not the issue, um, you know. And I just—I'll give you an example. Um, and sometimes I see this stuff after the fact. So I was involved in a fairly lengthy court battle years ago. Really, don't get involved in these court battles anymore. 
but maybe 15 years ago, um, wife wrote a will in her own handwriting. She had cancer, really unfortunate circumstance. And, you know, she got no guidance, got no legal help. And, and we find out about this after um, wife or mom or daughter, whatever you want to call her. I'll call her wife for purposes of this story. We got, you know, it was brought to our attention after wife passed away from cancer. So wife writes her own handwritten will. She hears he, she can do it herself. And sure, it was valid. It was, it was entirely written, dated, and signed in her handwriting. But what she wrote was, um, you know, she owned a home. And she said, I leave my home to my husband. And, however, I want my daughter to have a place to live until she's grown and, and until she's graduated from college so, so my daughter can live in the home. And then also my mother is, um, I want her to have the right to live in the home until she needs to go into a nursing home or until she passes away. So that's how I leave my home. So, you know, how do you make that fit under our Louisiana law? Well, how you make it fit is um, daughter, her stepfather, and her grandmother all wind up with lawyers in a courtroom having a judge sift through all of this to determine how to retitle the home after wife dies. Was the will valid? Yes. Did it cause chaos? Yes. So it's easy to create a valid will, but quite frankly, sometimes one, one word used incorrectly can really destroy a family. So, so anyway, holographic will, easy to make a valid will. Harder part is making sure all the language covers all the scenarios and all the con contingencies that could occur. So that's the first kind of, um, uh, of two kinds of testaments is the holographic will or the holographic testament. The second kind of will in Louisiana is what's called a notarial testament or a notarial will. Most wills are notarial wills. That's where you go to the lawyer. It gets typed up. Um, it's, it's, there's other formality requirements. It's notarized. It's witnessed by two people. There's the required language in the will that has to be in there to meet the formality requirements of a notarial testament. Something like there's going to be a paragraph at the end of the will that says something like, in our presence, the testator has declared or signified that this instrument um, is his testament and has signed it at the end and on each other separate page and in the presence of the testator and each other, we have hereunto subscribed our names as blank day of blank blank. So more formality requirements for the notarial testament, notarized, witnessed, have to have that uh, special paragraph at the end, sometimes called the attestation clause. Um, but typically, you know, lawyers prepare the notarial testaments and it's more likely that the language of the notarial testament is going to cover the things that need to be covered more so than the just sit down and do the handwritten holographic testament. So, so the challenge, you know, where we talk about the first 
area where wills get contested is people um, contest that someone did not follow the formality requirements. If it was an oligraphic will and half of it, half of it was typed up, half of it was handwritten, or I've seen a few times where a married couple, one of the spouses writes it out, they both sign it, that's invalid. Sometimes I see stuff and I just laugh. Um, and then sometimes with the typed up wills, the, um, it's not notarized or it doesn't have that attestation clause at the end or it may have one witness or the witnesses may be people who are prohibited from being a witness to your will, um, children, for example, and there's other you know definitions of who can be a witness. So, so when those formality requirements aren't met, um, there's the potential for wills to be challenged due to that lack of formality, uh, meeting the formality requirements. Reason number two why wills get contested is when it's um, alleged that someone does not have the necessary capacity to sign their will. And in the old days, you know, you, when you would hear in movies and on television about capacity, you'd hear the sound mind or sound mind and body. And, and here in Louisiana, our, our rules on capacity to write a will are a little bit different. It just, our rules here say that a, a person must be able to comprehend generally the nature and consequences of the disposition that he is making. So again, um, must be able, able to comprehend generally the nature and consequences of the disposition that he is making. So, you know, some wills are, um, at least from a layman's perspective, very confusing with lots of complicated tax law language in there. It's not that they have to understand every word, but they have to be able to comprehend generally the nature and consequences of the dispositions that they are making. Now, some people, particularly older people, um, who are starting to, um, you know, their, their capacity is starting to diminish, dementia, Alzheimer's, other medical conditions, that's where, um, you know, someone's um, capacity could be questioned. Uh, and so going into the third and final reason, it's a, it's a related reason. We also oftentimes see this in conjunction with a lack of capacity is what's, it's when someone is unduly influenced. So, you know, um, and the unduly influenced example is when, you know, son sets the whole thing up. Hey, mom, let's go get some ice cream. Mom says, great, I love ice cream. And then they happen to go get some ice cream. And then on the way home, they stop off at the lawyer's office because the son had prearranged it. Mom knew nothing about it. Son says, oh, mom, we're just going to go sign some papers. And mom signs the papers. She doesn't have the capacity. She's been influenced by her son unduly. So that undue influence um, is another reason wills get contested. So, um, you know, our law says that a will shall be declared null upon proof that it's the product of influence by the donee or another person that 
so impaired the volition of the donor as to substitute the volition of the donee or other person for the volition of the donor. So in the example that I just gave, you know, mom's new will that she doesn't know what she's signing, it really benefits the son more so than maybe what mom had before, or maybe she's leaving it all to the son and excluding other children. And so those, those last two, that capacity and that undue influence, you know, those, those are related or sometimes we, we see a combination of the two. We see the formality requirements being met, but we see the, um, a, a child, for example, or it doesn't even have to be child, any third party unduly influencing a potential testator who does not have the capacity to understand what they're doing. So there's, there's other um, sources of, of issues that can come up either, uh, when settling an estate that can cause there to be some litigation and there's some lawsuits, but those, those are the big three. Now, I will tell you um, the, how, how difficult are these things to prove. Well, the, the formality requirements can be pretty simple. Um, you know, you can look on it on the face of the document and, and apply it to the law and see if, if the formality requirements were met. The other two, those, you know, you've, that's kind of a long road to hoe to prove that somebody at the time that they signed their will didn't have the capacity. <clears throat> what can make it tougher is if you have, uh, you know, the lawyer and the witnesses um, you know, unlikely if asked later, you know, they're probably not going to say the person didn't know what they were doing because the notary shouldn't have notarized it if he thought he or she thought that the person didn't know what they were doing. So that's a tough one. And the undue influence also is a tough one, uh, you know, because the, you know, sometimes the, the person doesn't pass away for years later and the people who are contesting it weren't around and so you know just just a tough one a tough one to prove so so you know be aware of that couple more issues that are important um when you know what what can't you challenge a will for <clears throat> we see a lot sometimes you know mom dies daughter comes in my office after mom dies and will leaves Mom's will leaves everything to the two children and it, all the formality requirements were met. Um, mom's, at the time she signed the will, she was, her capacity was excellent. No one influenced her. You know, um, 10 years before she died, she got the will done, leaving everything to her two children. And daughter comes in after mom dies and says, you know what? Mom's will isn't fair. I want to contest it because it's not fair. For the last eight years or for the last 50 years, I've been taking care of mom every day. I gave up my career. I moved in with mom. I bathe her every day. I feed her every day. I change her every day. And my brother lives across the country and he never does squat. So when somebody comes in with that mindset, you know, I, I try to kind of gradually um, let them know, you know, how it all works. And, 
And so I might ask them, well, you know, daughter, do you want the blunt version or do you want the sugar-coated version? And most people say, well, give me the blunt version. And I'll say, you know, tough. I'll say, it, you know, it, it may not seem fair um, and it may not be fair in your uh, mind or in your definition of what is fair. You know, in your mind, fair is you gave more attention and did more for mom, so you should get more of her money. Um, but the law says that your mother had a will. She knew what she was doing when she signed it. She left it to 50-50 to you and your brother. None of that how much you took care of mom and how little he took care of mom matters. It's going to go 50-50 to the two of you, regardless of what you think is fair. So just because somebody thinks um, an inheritance is unfair, unless they have you know, some of these grounds to validly contest things, you, know, you just can't contest things because you feel like they're unfair. And then just another point worth mentioning, uh, I mentioned I was involved in one maybe 15 years ago or so, and, and so just, just the way kind of my, my workflow has developed, you know, I don't, I don't get involved in that litigation after the fact when somebody dies and people come out of the woodwork and want to contest uh, perhaps on one of these three requirements, lack of formality, no capacity, undue influence, or some other um, um, area where they want to contest something. That's a, that's a tough battle. It's often a nasty battle. It's pitting family members against each other, and they're pitting each other by going through the judicial system, which pits lawyers against each other, which gets judges involved in the whole court system, which uh, kind of the wheels of justice turn very slow, so this stuff musters typically for years, and, and a lot of uh, damage is done to family relationships by the time these things conclude, if they conclude, um, plus estate assets or personal assets are eaten up having to go through all of these challenges and all, all these court proceedings. I don't want to be a part of those. I don't like to be a part of those. Um, there are other lawyers who are very good at this whole estate litigation stuff. You know, kind of typically you see the, the bulldog lawyers um, are the ones who kind of thrive on that area. Um, what, what we focus on more is getting it right, you know, the first time, getting it right ahead of time, getting getting all the communications and all the paperwork and all the documentation and all the conversations and all the rationale, getting all that right ahead of time so that, you know, when something happens, no one's surprised, it goes as expected, you don't see these long drawn out, you know, court battles that can just um, really mess people up. So there you have it. Um, Three reasons wills get contested. Number one, don't meet the formality requirements. Two, the person who wrote the will did not have the requisite capacity. Or three, the person who wrote the will was unduly influenced by someone else who could you know, benefit from that influence. Okay, so lots more on the website, RabelaisEstatePlanning.com, on the YouTube channel, Rabelais Estate Planning LLC, on the podcast, Estate Planning with Paul Rabelais. Feel free to check all that stuff out and subscribe. 
And uh, before you'll know it, you'll be ahead of the game as far as your knowledge and may save you and your family a lot of difficulty in the future. Y'all have a great, uh, great day. Go Tigers. We'll see you. Take care of business.